Welcome to The Backpack, a podcast from Christ Community Church in Shelbyville, Kentucky. On The Backpack, we want to prepare you for the journey outside where following Jesus meets real life. Hey, and welcome to The Backpack. My name is DJ. I'm one of your hosts, and this is another installment of The Canteen, one of our regular segments where we feature sermons from the preaching ministry here at Christ Community Church. This week, we continue on in our study of the Ten Commandments called Bold Humility. We're looking at the Seventh Commandment this week, Do Not Commit Adultery. As we open the text together, Pastor Blake unpacks the sexual brokenness that we find rampant all around us in our world and how the invitation from God through this commandment is to find ourselves free. So let's listen in as he brings us this week's message. I want to encourage you to open your Bible to Exodus 20. If you don't have a Bible, we've got several back on this table back here in the back corner that you are welcome to. And, uh, um, you know, our, uh, our typical worship leader, who I trust and love so much, uh, he works hard to uh, see these stories come to um, the platform and to, to you. And um, I don't always know the details of them. And so um, I'm just kind of blown away at how the Lord continues to, to bring all things together. Um, one other thing that I, I felt compelled to say before we jump into our text for today, uh, Caitlin and, and my wife and our kids are up, actually up in Indiana with my family this morning. They've been there since yesterday. Uh, they're, they're helping with a, a baby shower and going to church with my family up there. And uh, I say that because of what we're going to be talking about. <laughs> Uh, the seventh commandment, do not commit adultery. We're, we're good. We're, we're still married. She's just, you know, she's just not here. Um, um, that was, that's an important qualifier. Also to say this, um, you know, the Lord just does some interesting things sometimes, and, and I, I always miss Caitlin when we're not together, but I woke up this morning in an empty house, and I, I can't tell you just the overwhelm I felt of, I can't wait till she gets home tonight. I can't wait to see her again. And uh, the Lord just, you know, how he does. Like, just that insight of like, man, that's, that's how God feels about us. He cannot wait to just welcome us into his arms, to love us, um, his bride. And so um, with that, I want to read for you Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, our text for today's sermon as we work through the Ten Commandments here at Christ Community in a series that we've called Bold Humility. Do not commit adultery. Lord, we thank you for your word. These two words in the Hebrew language, four and ours, that are a mirror that help us to see where we fall short of the holiness of God, that, that are a curb that... that put some boundaries in our life that allow us to become more like you and, and that, that genuinely are a map to that loving embrace, to that relationship, to, to that moment where we get to see you, God. So help us to embrace the seventh command, Lord, as we open your word together today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do not commit adultery. Harper's Bible Dictionary defines adultery as sexual relations with someone other 
than one's marriage partner. Sexual relations with, one, with someone other than one's marriage partner. Now, I don't intend to be overly graphic in anything I say today, but we are going to openly talk about God's gift of sex, how evil corrupts it. We're going to talk about the effects of sexual sin on us and others, and we're going to talk about what God's Word says about it. You know, the encouraging thing, I think, is that for a growing portion of our world, we would be glad if adultery and sexual sin were eliminated. Like, like we're just kind of over it. Caitlin and I were reminded of this this week. She, she spoke into this message in a ton of ways. Like, we sat together and prayed together over this message in ways that we don't with every message this week. And we were reminded that it was actually in the evening. We were uh, kids had gone to bed, and we were looking for a new show to watch together. Anybody been there? Sometimes it's a terrible experience. And so we begin scouring the streaming services in search of a show to watch and get into. You know, we like, we, we like something that has a little bit of story and some character development to it. And you know where I'm going with this. It was a struggle. Because you'd see one, and you'd start to get excited about it, and then the show was rated mature for sexual content. Like, we just, we just don't want to do that. Like, we, we, we can't do that. In those moments and in all kinds of moments in life, like, we would be glad if adultery and sexual sin were eliminated. Amen? I mean, and if you don't think that way, ask, ask any man or any woman who's been through a divorce that includes infidelity. And they would tell you that you don't want to go through that if only adultery could be eliminated. Uh, Talk to any man or any woman who's been assaulted sexually or is a victim of sex trafficking. Like, they would echo that. Like, man, it would be great if this were gone. Any, any man or, or woman who's found themselves married to a porn addict would be glad if adultery and sexual sin were eliminated. Any man or woman who's found themselves in the bondage of looking at pornographic images would be ecstatic if they hadn't fallen into the grips of sexual sin. We would be glad <laughs> if my iPad were eliminated. No, if adultery and sexual sin were eliminated. Thank you. All right. Well, you know. Still there. And yet, we live with this shameful pride instead of bold humility, don't we? Most of us have Jesus' words ringing in our minds from Matthew 5, 28. When Jesus says, I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I, I could literally spend the rest of my time today blowing your mind with statistics about porn and sexual sin and how the enemy is using it to corrupt God's design for marriage and sex blow your mind for hours. So I, I'm going to share three stats from, from recent research studies. I think all these are from 2020 or, or newer. And I, I think that these three will be enough to help us understand that this is, this is a pervasive problem. Number one, 91.5% of men and 60.2% of women report consuming porn in the past month, according to a 2020 study. That's a lot. 
And number two, just so you know, I'm not coming from a place of, you know, high and mighty and we've got this figured out. More than 50% of faith leaders have looked at porn. Parents, 75% of you believe that your child has never viewed porn. When they asked those same kids, 53% of those kids reported that they had. Here's a bonus for you. One researcher set out to do a study on the effects of porn and couldn't even find enough people for a control group who hadn't been exposed to pornography. It's so pervasive that most of us kind of deny that it's even a problem. All that adds up to this assumption. It's, it's more likely that you have dealt with this issue in your life than that you haven't. And the wake-up call is that it is destroying people and families along the way. Research consistently shows, there's multiple studies that show that porn consumers are twice as likely to later experience a divorce or a breakup. And in many of those cases, that's even after they've got that under control. Now, if you still aren't convinced, I'd encourage you to check out a three-part documentary at brainheartworld.org. It's it's an incredible organization, an excellent resource on the effects of porn. And in these documentaries, it's completely detached from religious material, right? This is just social effects of porn. So if these sexual sins that that are the fruit of lust in our heart are so pervasive and, and so destructive, then my question is, why do we feel so enslaved by them? Why do we live in a place of shameful pride instead of bold humility when it comes to this command? Like, why can't we just say, yeah, I I need to do better and then do better? Like, what is going on here? Well, since the beginning, when, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, the enemy has attached the feeling of shame to our physical bodies. Genesis 3.10, Adam says, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid. Why? Because I was naked, so I hid. Adam was ashamed because of his his nakedness. And, And then it was the pride of thinking that he knew what was best that drove him from God to hide from him in the first place. You see, pride and shame have this really interesting relationship that that Max Lucado described so eloquently in this quote. He said, pride and shame. You know, you never know they're sisters. They appear so different. Pride puffs out her chest and shame hangs her head. Pride boasts, shame hides. Pride seeks to be seen. Shame seeks to be avoided. But don't be fooled, says Lucado. The emotions have the same parentage and the emotions have the same impact. They keep you from your father. Pride says you're too good for him. Shame says you're too bad for him. Pride drives you away while shame keeps you away. If pride is what goes before a fall, then shame is what keeps you from getting up after one. You see, shame and pride work in this terrible cycle to perpetuate sexual sin in our lives while at the same time convincing us not to expose it. 
Shame causes us to consider our, our past experiences in life. Sometimes not even things we've done, but that have been done to us. And they cause us to believe and determine, I'm not enough. I don't belong. Or I'm not loved. And, and that shame from your past, it meets your struggles in your present day lives. And, and in a pride that says, I'm not going to be controlled in this situation, we act out. Ashamed of what we've done, then the vicious cycle begins again. And eventually, we just, we're exhausted from failing time and time and time again. And so we quit trying to live the life that God has called us to. And we simply begin to do what feels good. It reminds me of the story of Judah in Genesis 38. Judah was the big brother of a guy named Joseph. And Joseph, you, you might remember, got a really awesome coat from his dad. And Judah was jealous of him. And, and in those moments and in his life, Judah began to compare himself to Joseph. And as he did, Judah began to believe that I am not enough. I am not loved as much by my father. And apparently, he didn't feel loved by his family because he sold Joseph into slavery. And after that, he lied to his dad and, and moved out on his own. It's all there in the text. You, you can read it in, in Genesis 37, 38. I'd encourage you to go do that this afternoon. After Judah had sold his little brother into slavery, he, he got married and he started a family and, and he had kids who got married themselves. And when his firstborn Ur died before having his own child with his wife Tamar, Judah sent Tamar back to her family. Well, sometime after that, Judah's wife died. And while Judah was on a business trip to go get his sheep shorn, that's what you did those days, I guess, Judah thought, you know, I think I might just seek out a little pleasure for myself, too. Tamar, still without child or husband, heard about that, disguised herself as a prostitute, slept with her father-in-law, and Judah had no clue what was going on. Well, even if you haven't read the story, you know how this ends. Tamar got pregnant. And not knowing that Maury would have determined that he was the father. Some of us aren't old enough to get that yet, but it's okay. <laughs> Judah's response to hearing that Tamar was pregnant is filled with pride. Genesis 38, verse 24. About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law Tamar has been acting like a prostitute, and now she's pregnant. Bring her out, Judah said, and let her be burned to death. Hmm. Shame of his past. Meeting his current circumstances, resulting in sexual sin, and now a pride that tries to keep everything under wraps. But then Tamar reveals the truth. And Judah is incredibly ashamed as Tamar gives birth to twin boys. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I can't keep up with the sin tally in Genesis 38 and determine whose side we should be on. But you know what? If I'm honest, I can't really keep up with my own sin tally. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you've got yours under control. But what I do think we see in Genesis 38 is a realistic picture of how a quest for bold humility can get sidetracked in shame and pride and overflow in sexual sin. 
You say, what's that look like today? Jay Stringer, who wrote a book called Unwanted that I can't recommend highly enough, one of the quotes from the book says this, men are drawn magnetically to watching others, whether it's through porn, sports, or television, because nothing is required except consumption. In watching the drama of characters unfold on a screen, there is no personal crucible for change. Watching provides men a world without futility. There's no risk, no fear of failure. That is, he says, until they attempt to get out. You know, God's word, like, sometimes we, we, we wonder if it's, like, applicable or how it relates to our modern-day stuff. But here you've got this story of Judah in Genesis 38, and I'm just convinced it's not a mistake that we read a much more familiar story, one that's a little more upbeat, in the very next chapter, Genesis 39. And it's a story of working to get out. Judah's little bro, Joe, had ended up a servant after he was sold into slavery in the house of an Egyptian leader named Potiphar. And Joseph did a, did a good job as, as this slave and as a servant, and he earned a lot of favor with his new master. And I'm just going to read the rest from God's Word because you might not believe me if I were to just tell you what happened in Joseph's story. Genesis 39, beginning in verse 6. Potiphar left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. Y'all, if my name were in the Bible with that sentence, I'd be done for. Like, I'd be so proud and the ladies would all know it. Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after some time, his master's wife looked longingly, longingly at Joseph and said, Sleep with me. But he refused. Look, he said to his master's wife, With me here, my master does not, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in his house. And he's put all that he owns under my authority. No one in this house is greater than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. So how could I do this immense evil, and how could I sin against God? And although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. Now one day he went into the house to do his work, and none of the household servants were there. She grabbed him by his garment and said, Sleep with me. But leaving his garment in her hand, he escaped and ran outside. That same Joseph would eventually make a way for God's people to be blessed in the land of Egypt. You know, as we've talked about the Ten Commandments, we've talked about how God rescued them out of slavery, but we forget that before they were slaves, they were, they were like treated like royalty in Egypt because of Joseph. They received land and provisions and experienced all kinds of human flourishing before their enslavement there. It's a real-time picture, though, right here in Genesis 38 and 39 of how so many of us experience sexual sin. We know we're supposed to flee. We can see the good that comes from following God's plan for sex. We can talk about it and recognize it, but most of us are enslaved by a story that's more like Judah's in chapter 38. Y'all, sexual brokenness is all over the place. Lust fills our hearts, and we fulfill our desires with what we want, without thoughts of the repercussions. We lash out in pride 
so that no one will find us out. And we do that to protect ourselves, to keep people at a distance. And we walk through life filled with shame and embarrassment that only keeps the sin cycle going, that allows us to never have bold humility before the face of God. So I want to ask you a question. What's the difference between Judah and Joseph? What's the difference? And I would say to you, suggest to you, that it's faith. It's faith that that even when it comes to sexual sin, God doesn't want to stone you, which was the consequence. He wants to shine His glory through you. God doesn't want to stone you. He wants to shine His glory through you. We hold Joseph up as the model for fleeing sexual immorality. And and we should. We're, We're going to get back there. But you know who's mentioned in Jesus' genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, verse 3? Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Mm. Now that's not to say that God wants you to experience sexual sin, but it is to remind you that the God who made you and created you and loves you and wants to welcome you into his home forever, he understands your sexual behavior. He understands your sexual brokenness. And I don't mean understands in the sense of of forgives automatically. I mean, he understands in the sense that as your creator, he can diagnose, diagnose the brokenness in you and restore you as an image bearer of God. Any sexual brokenness that exists in your life, God knows how to repair. And that's, that's good news. And his plan to repair it is Jesus. It is Jesus. I'm reminded of the account of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8, verses 2 through 11. Now, this text wasn't included in the earliest written manuscripts, but, but there's significant historical support that this is a, a true story. And it's really helpful in illustrating this idea that God doesn't want to stone you. He wants to shine his glory through you. You, you may know the story. In the story, the, the religious leaders of the day are using this very commandment, do not commit adultery, to try and trap Jesus and stone a woman that they had caught in the act. But Jesus shows that even in the darkest of places, his light shines through to reveal his glory. We pick up the story in verse 7. It says, When they persisted, the leaders, in questioning Jesus, Jesus stood up and said to them, The one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he stooped down again and continued riding on the ground. And when they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. And when Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Now, I want you to imagine with me for for a moment. If that woman would have tried to run away before Jesus spoke, Imagine, imagine if she would have tried to lie about what she'd been doing or made an excuse for it or allowed victim mentality to, to speak instead of the truth. The story would have ended differently, wouldn't it? I'm not here to guess how it would have ended. But if she had operated out of her shame and her pride, it would have led to something much worse. But instead, Jesus meets her in this moment. He frees her and he sends her out with this new, bold humility. 
today, the Spirit may be convicting you or causing you to wrestle with, with a past divorce. Perhaps you're in the midst of an affair or on the cusp of one right now. And, and we can kind of gloss over that, but statistics would say, like, it's happening. In those moments, it seems easier to go than it does to stay. You know you're living parallel lives and you're satisfying your desires in other ways. Maybe you're single today and you're telling yourself that you aren't worthy of a partner because of past sexual sin. Or you're incredibly ashamed about your sexual promiscuity in an earlier life or maybe even in your current one. Maybe today you're, you're gripped by the power of pornography. No matter how many times you've tried to stop, it keeps finding its way back. Don't let shame make you run into hiding. And don't let pride make you fight to defend yourself. God doesn't want to stone you. He wants to shine His glory through you. He wants to meet you like He met that woman and say, neither do I condemn you. But now go. You see, Christ, He wants you to be free, then flee, so that you can see. Sometimes we get this way out of order and it messes us up. You see, it's after this woman is freed by Jesus' love that he then tells her to go and flee sexual immorality in her life. We get that backwards sometimes and we try to, to flee on our own. And then we find ourselves in shame and pride and stuck. So the question then is, how can you be free? How can you experience this freedom that Christ gives to us? Well, freedom is about believing the truth about your body and about sex. And God's word in Paul's letter to the Corinthians really helps us with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. Let me read some of these verses, and then we're going to talk about two truths that we have to believe if we want to be set free. Paul writes, Everything's permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord, and he will also raise us up by his power. Don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body? So should I take a part of Christ's body and make it part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For Scripture says the two will become one flesh, but anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. If we want to keep the command to not commit adultery, it begins with believing these two truths. Number one, sex is more than a desire to be satisfied. It is more than a desire to be satisfied. It's something different than our desire for food. With food, when our stomach says we're hungry, we feed it. When we reduce sex down to this physical desire to be satisfied, we become more animal than human. We, we begin to sacrifice other good things to get or experience sex. It becomes our idol, our God. We give up our marriages. We give up our friends. We give up emotional health. We give up our dignity, our integrity. We give up our relationship with God to fulfill our desire for sex. And the lie that we're believing underneath that is that if I want it, I should have it. Sex is a gift from God to be enjoyed, 
But it is more than that. It's also part of his plan to be fruitful and multiply. And it's more than that even. It creates this emotional connection that we, we don't experience in any other, ta- any other act. Two people become one flesh. At the end of, of verse 15 through verse 16, Paul applies that truth to adultery. He says, when you have sex with someone who isn't your spouse, your body is connecting Christ's body to them in a way that is unholy because sex connects you to the whole person, body, mind, and soul. And God gave that gift to married couples, one man and one woman, as a picture of Christ's connection to the church, the very verse that we heard Melissa read, which I didn't know that she was reading. You know, when we realize this, it makes that lie, if I want it, I should have it, seem really inadequate. And that lie is followed closely by this lie. Well, it's my body, and I can do with it what I want. And in the place of that lie, we must believe this truth. Your body is intimately connected to Jesus. In fact, it's his. For context, the Corinthians that Paul was writing to were deeply impacted by a culture around them that taught them that their physical bodies were separate from their spiritual ones. In many ways, we're fighting that same battle today. And Paul says that's a mistake. To be human is to be mind, body, soul. Distinct, yes, but still one. You know why we're that way? Because we are a reflection of our Creator who is three persons in one God. Father, Son, and Spirit. Distinct, yes, but one. So if your soul was created to glorify God, your body was too. Your body is for the Lord. And Jesus came to to save not just your soul, but your physical body. While you're reading your Bible this afternoon, check out 1 Corinthians 15. Your physical body will be made new in God's kingdom. And in this passage, we read, God raised up the Lord, and he will also raise us up by his power. That's physically as well as spiritually. As a believer, you become part of Christ's body. And when it says you, it doesn't just mean the spiritual you. It means all of you. When you believe in Jesus, you are a part of his body. And we aren't to connect Christ's body to bodies that aren't our spouses. Here's the positive side of being a part of Christ's body. In Christ, you have inherent value and worth and purpose that isn't just momentary, but rather is eternal There is a plan for you because you are in Christ. And and there's a plan for your physical body because you are in Christ that lasts for the rest of time. God wants to shine his glory through you, all of you. And that means that you don't get to press time out on your relationship with Jesus or tell him you're on a break while you do with your body what you want. You don't get to leave him at the house when you go out on that date or or close the door in his face before you spend the night at someone's house. He doesn't stay at church when you go home. When you believe in Jesus, you are one with Jesus through his spirit who lives inside you. Your body is intimately connected to Jesus. And we have to believe that if we want to be set free from sexual sin. Believing those truths frees you to to flee sexual, sexual immorality in the same way that the woman caught in adultery was free to go. 
And if you try to flee from your sin without believing those things, you're going to find it impossible. Your flesh is not able to do it. But when your head and your heart believe those things, then you are free to flee. And that's why Paul says all of those things before he concludes this in verse 18 and following of 1 Corinthians 6. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. All right, quickly, how do we flee? The first is the church word, repentance. I read this week that repentance is faith that God truly desires to give us what is best for us, that we believe that. And when we believe those things from earlier in the passage, we do everything we can to get away from sexual sin. We make pre-decisions. We decide before we're in the moment. Whatever it takes, we invite accountability. We set up boundaries. We tell our boyfriend or our girlfriend, no, we, we don't text people of the opposite sex without someone else in the text. We, we get the sin in the light, and then we keep living in the light. We, we begin to work towards radical vulnerability in close relationships. And, and honestly, we seek out professionals who can help us work towards reconciliation with friends and family members that we've betrayed because of our sexual sin. Fleeing starts with, with repentance. Church, we like, I, I've just... My mind is blown this week as, as we've worked together. This sermon has been written in community more than, than any in the last couple of years. And um, yesterday, there was a gathering here of a group of people that have said, I, I would lean in and be marriage mentors as we try to get some marriage ministry off the ground. And I was so inspired by them. And uh, our, our heart at Christ Community, right, is that, is that marriages would flourish because we're watching marriages in our church and in our community and in our world just wilt away. Adultery run rampant. And, and we're not mad at anyone for that, but, but we know that Jesus has so much more for us. And, and so we, we're not like completely ready. We're building the flames as we, as we, yeah, that plane as we fly it. But I want anybody who wants their marriage to flourish, to, to go check out loveshowville.com slash marriage today, this week, sometime. When you go there, like, you can fill out this really simple form, and uh, at the very least, like, you can say, pray for my marriage, because I don't, I don't want adultery to come into my marriage. You can say, I'm interested in one of those couples that are marriage mentors, like, walking with me for a season, walking with us for a season. David and Gigi Wheeler have been leading some incredible classes to try and be proactive. We've got that. We can help connect you to counseling. We've got people that are really well-schooled in that. Like, we want marriages to flourish, and we want sexual sin to be defeated at the foot of the cross here. So, so don't, don't hide in shame, and, and don't let your pride say, well, it's my spouse's deal. They've got, to, they've got to get better at this. No, like in community, let's run at the seventh commandment with all that we've got with the help of Christ. Do not commit adultery. Fleeing is always about running to the Savior instead of running from the sin. 
our culture is going to keep dangling sexual sin in front of us at every turn. Whether it's the shows we're searching for with our spouse, the YouTube shorts that our kids are watching, the way that our neighbors dress. Like, it's, it's going to keep being there. And we know the evil desire is in us. But we run from that knowing and believing that Jesus has freed us from it. And with boldness and humility, we flee from sexual immorality, leaving even the shirts on our backs behind, just like Joe. What we don't often see in those moments of temptation is that those moments are often an invitation from the Father to find true freedom, to run to Him instead of running from our sin. You see, you find the courage to flee when you know that, that who you're running to is better than what you're running from. Run to the Savior instead of running from your sin. You're fleeing to a God who sent His Son not to condemn the world, but to save it, to connect it again to His Spirit so that He could be one with them. You are fleeing to the one who can give you real freedom. Run boldly, knowing that temptation is strong. And run humbly, knowing that you need his mercy when you fall into his arms. When you flee with bold humility, you just want to see God. You just want to have him there as you get to the horizon. Like, God, please help me. Hold me. If I could just see you, God, then I, I know that I would be safe. That's what bold humility births in us a desire to see God. Like those Israelites who were looking up at the cloud over the mountain that day as he said, do not commit adultery. Just a desire to see his face. Church, God doesn't want to stone you. He wants to shine his glory through you. He wants you to see his face. And so as the band comes back up today, I, I, I want to start our response just by saying this, that coming, coming to the stage and kneeling in prayer at the foot of the cross is one way that you can run to God today. To just say, I, I am not going to let shame and pride win. I'm going to be bold and in humility, I'm going to come before the Father in heaven and ask for freedom and say, I believe that this body that I'm living in is, is God's and not mine. I'm going to flee to the cross. And if you're convicted of sexual sin today, maybe it has you in its grips, like run to the Savior. Don't run to the next plan or the next book or the next idea. Like run to the Savior today. Leave behind whatever shame is telling you, even the shirt that's trying to cover up the sin. And come, just pray at the foot of the cross. And we're going to have people here that will pray with you. Ask Jesus to give you faith to believe that your body is his and sex is more than just a desire to be satisfied. For baptized believers today, you are invited, like every Sunday, to take communion. And as we take communion today, Eric and I are going to serve you, and it's, it's this reminder that Jesus gave his physical body on the cross to free you from your sins. Your, his physical body. Even the sins that include your physical body. And so today, you're going to take that little piece of, of bread, and it's a reminder of that physical body that took the place of your physical body 
on the cross so that you could be free. And that juice is a reminder of his blood, a blood that paid for your sins and satisfied the wrath of God so that he could say, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And all that reminds us that Jesus' physical body was resurrected. It came back to life, just as ours will one day be in heaven. As we take communion together today, church, remember Jesus' physical body because you are his bride and he longs for you to see his face. Honor him with your body. Why would Jesus endure the cross? Because he wants you and I to see the face of God. Matthew 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We need the pure heart that only Jesus can provide. Run to him today. Don't commit adultery. Be free. Then flee so that you can see God. Jesus, we need you. When we're real, every single one of us has had lust living in our hearts. Free us from that today, Jesus, we pray. Help us to flee to you, to run to you with confidence that we can one day see God because of the pure heart that you've given to us by your sacrifice on the cross. It's in your name, the power of your name and of your spirit that we pray. Amen. Hey, DJ again. Thanks for joining us at the canteen and listening to this week's message. Uh, We hope it was helpful to you and that you're encouraged and challenged as we set out this week to walk the walk of faith together, joining Jesus in going outside. Uh, If you're a part of Christ's community, hey, let's, let's lean into this. Let's not let this just be an academic exercise, but let's apply what we've heard today. How can you be applying this truth in your life this week? If you're not part of the Christ Community family, we're glad that you joined us, glad that you found us, and we hope that uh, that this message was helpful to you as well. One encouragement we would give you, if you're not part of a local church, uh, please don't use these resources as a substitute for that. It is a pale imitation of the real thing as we live in community with one another. So if you're in the Shelbyville area, we'd love to have you come out and join us. But wherever you are, find a local church, get plugged in an experienced Christian community as it was meant to be, and continue to use these resources to supplement that journey. But please don't replace it. Thanks for joining us this week. Grab your backpack, and I will see you on the trail. Thanks for listening to The Backpack, a production of Christ Community Church. The Backpack is hosted by DJ Williams, Daniel Bright, and Josiah Ward. You can learn more about Christ Community Church at loveshelbyville.com.